G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about the role you might play as a parent who passes on values to your children. Well, our values are the things that we think are important. Our special guest today recognises the role that her parents played in her life and her faith. Each parent taught her to question and to listen, to not just accept the cultural rhetoric of the day, but to search for timeless truths, many of them hidden in plain sight on the pages of her Bible. Well, their legacy has been passed on to her, and she has passed it down to her own children and to their children. Yvonne Grice is a cognitive behavioural therapist. She's also the author of a book called Across in Time, inspired by her own family story. It follows two fictional families through three generations and shows how each generation plays their part in the big picture of eternity. So a special welcome to 2020 to you, Yvonne Grice. Oh, good morning, Neil. So good to be here. Yvonne, wonderful to have a conversation like this, and it takes on a whole lot of different dimensions to what we normally talk about when we talk about faith. We want to share our faith with other people, and we want to pass on our values to our own family, and we think that somehow or other that's like a mechanical thing, but there's some deeper dimensions to all of that, and you've tried to capture some of those dimensions in your book, Across in Time. Yes, I wanted to do that. I remember something that was really significant for me was um, at my children's school. It was a Christian school in Sydney, and um, they had um, a tradition day where they had to dress up as the different influences they'd had in the past. And um, we're all there dressed up as where we'd all come from. And um, the headmistress said, um, all of you have come from different countries, from different backgrounds, but somewhere along the line, somebody prayed for you, and that's why you're here. And I remember that really struck me because um, I knew that my great-grandfather was um, a very strong Christian and um, that he had been alive when I was born. And uh, I knew that he would have prayed for me and it just sort of really struck a chord with me, that concept of the generational influence. And when we talk about generations, we're talking here about a big picture and this is where you love to get into these sorts of issues uh, because the decisions that we make today, the sorts of values that we are passing on to our children, these form the big picture of our lives and connecting that with God's eternal picture. Uh, How do you like to think of big picture things? I love the fact that I suppose having lived for a lot of generations now myself, um, I'm 70 now, um, I've come to see how God works um, over a long period of time often and at first we're wanting him to work quickly and gradually we learn that he has a timing and I've gradually come to really trust his timing and realise that he actually not only works over a whole lifetime but over generations and generations and when he's, when he's bringing about um, a particular person who's going to change the world 
that has been created over generations to bring that person to be, even if we think of someone like Billy Graham, who was such a, a gift to the world, that didn't just come overnight. That would have been generations of people and generations of prayer that brought about that person. Interesting to say, as you get a little older, that you recognise these things are important. I wonder how valuable it might be if you had an appreciation of just how important all those decisions were when you were young. And I imagine that when you say, well, you you know, open with your age, you're 70, and I might say you don't look a year over 50. That's my compliment to you. Thank you. Uh, but, <laughs> but when we talk about what we might appreciate as a young person, capturing some of these values that you're sharing in your book, be very, very valuable to understand those things from a younger age rather than wait until you get to your older years and recognise how important these things are. Well, I've really noticed with um, my children, um, I, I wouldn't think that I've done everything right, but one of the things that I feel I do have done right is that they are all strong Christians. Um, and they all seem to do have a concept of that, that um, that God is huge and and God's purposes are, are, are massive. I, I don't think that I fully understood that when I first started walking with the Lord when I was about 20. Um, but I've noticed that they do have that um, that way of thinking. So that's something positive. Let me mention one of your favorite movie quotes uh, from Gladiator. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Yes. Uh, give us a little bit of insight into why that is one of your favorites. Well, the power of prayer is is just immeasurable. And, um, you know, the Bible says whatever we bind here on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose here on earth is loosed in heaven. And so we do have incredible power. I think we we underestimate our authority. We underestimate what happens when we start to pray in the heavens and um, with the angelic realm. And I really wanted to go there because I really wanted to sort of get to, to broaden people's concept of how powerful um, their prayers are and, and what incredible authority we have in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. When we talk about Christian books, sometimes we're uh, in this idea that it's non-fiction ones, ones that are uh, expounding on the Bible and uh, on concepts of faith and those sorts of things. And, uh, and there are people who've done very high levels of study who've done wonderful works. But when we come to a fiction book, we don't always appreciate just how powerful that can be. Now, I suspect you've captured something uh, of the importance of what it is to write fiction because the book that you've written, Across in Time, is based on your own account, your own family experience. So if we're going to understand just how powerful it is to recognize concepts that you're conveying in your book, Take us back to some of your family experiences uh, raised in the home that you were raised in, how the values were passed on to you and how you, you know, you understand those things work. Uh, take us back to some early years. Mm. Um, so I was a baby boomer and um, I think a very big difference between that time and, and now is um, we were very aware of the big picture. Like I was aware that my father was in the Second World War, my grandfather the First World War. Um, the Great Depression that they all went through and the effect that had on our parents, how our fathers and grandfathers struggled with the impact of the war. And so I was very aware of past sacrifices, and sacrifice was a huge thing when I was growing up. It was a huge thing to sacrifice for the greater good. You know, my mother just faithfully did her duty, and my father went out every day and did his duty at work, and, um, we were, and we were taught duty. 
and that we'd and, and that the goodies had won, the baddies had lost, and the churches were full um, because people had a concept of a creator, a God, after having gone through a war and feeling that God was on our side. America was the new free country. So there was a big picture also, a concept of moving forward and building a new great free world, you know, after the war. And so um, my concept growing up was um, your faithfulness, loyalty, duty, um, going to church every Sunday, even though my father didn't go to church, my mother did. And um, a bit, very big thing with my parents was that um, my father being a a Catholic and um, from a broken home in an inner city suburb in Sydney, um, a labour guy. He was a trade union boss. And my mother was Protestant, Presbyterian. She was from a farm in, in Queensland and, um, you know, very um, conservative and she was country party. And um, and yet they there was no big fights about religion or politics. And I didn't grow up with hatred and you know they were able we were able to discuss things without it being a lot of anger and as a result i mean i i became a christian and quite right wing my sister became an atheist and she's quite left wing out of the same family but and we talk quite naturally to each other and so i get quite a shock when i see all the hatred that's between parties and religions and stuff because i didn't grow up with any of that so when you grow up in a family that is so diverse, as you describe your father and uh, like an almost an opposite to your mother, and there's probably all sorts of good relational things we can talk about in all of that, and then your sister and yourself and uh, all these differences, how do all these differences come from the same set of values? Mm. Uh, how do you reflect on that sort of thing? Yes, I'd say because um, we were free, we weren't told that we had to go one way or the other. We were free, like my sister, I remember when she was, let's say, about 11, she said, I don't want to go to church anymore. And so they said, well, okay, you don't have to go to church. And for some reason that I don't really understand, I always wanted to go and I had an interest in the Bible study and it spoke to me and um, I went along that different path and I was very open to do that. And, my, and I remember when I became a Christian at 20, I very much remember this, I was very zealous, you know, new Christian, and I was wanting to get my father saved, and I was praying for him and everything. And I was having this talk to him, and um, and and he said, "Look, Yvonne," he said, "I'm. I think it's a wonderful thing that you're a Christian. I really do. And um, I promise you, I will never do anything to undermine your faith." And I said, "Well, Dad, nothing can undermine my faith." You know, I was very yes. adamant. He said, "Yes, I know that, but I promise you, I never, I never will do that." And um. So that that sort of was huge, and he did eventually come to the Lord at eighty-three, <laughs> yep. two months before he died. But um, that's the sort of attitude that enabled us both to make our own decisions and choices where we wanted to go. Now it's easy to get judgmental here and talk about your dad's values that might have been opposite to the ones that you had chosen. Yep. But there's another value in here that I suspect is very important. This idea of allowing our children to make their own mistakes. And he thought you were making a mistake by choosing to be a Christian. But he was determined to allow you to make that mistake if that's what you needed to do. What about if you were putting the shoe on the other foot and uh, and you're a Christian parent and your child comes to you and says, I'm jumping out of church and I don't want to go along with your faith and your belief. How do you think a parent ought to react in that situation? And what does that mean for values being passed on? 
Yes, well, um, I'm seeing that a lot with um, people in ministry that are just completely faithful, wonderful people, and their children are just rejecting it completely. And um, the the bottom line is to to love them and love where they've what whatever they've decided and chosen, and uh, even the families that are having their children go into all sorts of lifestyles that they don't agree with, but you just um, need to keep loving them. And, um, and, and anyway, you, you can't stop loving your children, can you? You're sort of locked into it. That's why I find it. You're almost sort of like you can't do anything about it. You're going to support your children no matter what choices they make. Mm. But let's come back to the values that we pass on because yes. even when our children might reject our values, mm. uh, the way that they there might be some redemption that comes in there and they recognize after going down one path, if the values that they were uh, they, that they were uh, uh, that was formed in their lives uh, that they can come back to those at a later time if they discover that the values that they have chosen are actually not what they thought. Yes, I think all all we can do is continue to live by our values, and 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 not let it um, undermine what we believe and um, the direction that we're going in, and uh, continue to pray for them and continue to. Um, to believe God in the big picture will will answer our prayers, which he does. And not to get too personal here, but you did mention that your sister decided to follow a different line. Yes. And you did mention that your children are all in church, believers, and doing things according to a value system that somehow got passed on through you. I wonder whether you can see contrasts uh, in your own sister's life. And I'm not trying to be too personal here, but uh, but uh, you, you can see those sorts of values that have changed her own family. Um, well, I think something that's very crucial is that my husband is a strong Christian, has a strong faith. I, I think when the father is um, a believer, that has a big influence on the children personally. Um, so that the two of you are together and united in that. And also, if you're actually practicing living by it, there's not, there's not a double thing where, where you're all lovely and wonderful at church and then different at home. I think my, my husband was always the same person right across the board. And when he, and his faith was, was un, unshakable. And so I think that was, that was, a, so I, as, as to my sister, her, her daughters are just beautiful women, actually. Really beautiful. I really love them. And, um, uh yeah so her marriage has um not gone well but um the daughters are really um responsible beautiful girls so i can't sort of say much more about that and, i have to say. and i, I realize that i've led you into something there that uh, that, that touches some very personal yes. things but there is a sense here and you've really touched on something very powerful that the consistency that you and your husband have had as man and wife and as parents has paid off with a huge dividend in your children picking up on those values and recognizing there was something authentic in there and the decisions that you and your husband have made with the values that you've installed into your children will likely pass on to another generation, to your grandchildren. Yes, we have nine, nine grandchildren and they are all at the moment in in church where they're being raised in church. And I have to say, man, I haven't done everything right and neither has my husband. <laughs> We've made a lot of mistakes and our children are supposed to have to deal with that as every generation does. 
because nobody's perfect. And the only way you can sort of navigate that really is forgiveness, forgiveness of yourself for the times that you realise you've done things wrong and um, forgiveness of your children if they're sort of upsetting you and the children have to forgive us. Um, It's the only way that it can sort of work really. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020. On Vision. So many dimensions to a conversation today, and you're welcome to join in. Our talkback line open on 1 800 316 316. Yvonne Grice is our guest, and she is a cognitive behavioral therapist. Now, Yvonne, uh, we don't make a big thing about all of this, but when you've written your book, Across in Time, there are some things, obviously, with your professional training that will flow through into the fiction writing that you've written. And really, I guess it comes to how our behaviours are formed by the things that we believe. Now, this is a really great way to talk about uh, families, because we're talking about our grandparents and our parents and who we are and our children and our grandchildren. So if we're putting ourselves right in the middle of that. As a cognitive behavioural therapist, what do we need to understand about what makes us behave the way we do? Well, I found that, I'll call it CBT, so we don't have to go through the big name all the time. (laughs) It is a tongue twister. I found through um, that CBT flowed very well with my Christian beliefs because the the concept that we're we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And um, it's talking about the effect that um, the beliefs that we come to as a result of the things we've experienced um, influence our behavior. So you, you can have two... Everybody is unique, and you could have two people with the same situation will respond completely differently to that situation and come to different beliefs as a result of it. And the belief that we come to at the time um, will will influence our behaviour. Um, so really, CBT is, is really about unwrapping, unwrapping um, to find out what the beliefs are that the person has has come to, so that um, we can t- we can see about changing those beliefs and therefore changing the behaviour. So, when we believe in God, this is the simplest uh, thing to talk about, isn't it? Someone who believes in God, and you know, we can deepen that a little bit by saying is a follower of Christ, and their values being formed according to that belief. To the person who says, "I don't believe in God." who might be sort of in this realm of being the atheist, their life, their values, their behavior is completely different when the values are formed from these different ideas about whether you believe in God or whether you don't. Well, see, you can have two people that believe in God, but they have, they have a very different concept of it and very different, very different belief um, structure. They might believe in God, but let's say they've had um, a very um, strict religious father who was very conditional in his love, they might see God as being the same. And so they might actually um, be, spend their lives trying to please God, thinking that God and, and don't have, have a concept of grace. And But you might have, a, you know, to be honest, you might have a non-Christian who is very gracious and, understand, and is very gracious to people. So really, I don't see it as black and white as that, Neil. I see it that, that um, each of us individually... I've had to go through a, a journey of um, thinking how um, I've had to sort of really um, stop, get out of being a perfectionist and thinking that if I don't do everything perfectly, God 
might be angry with me or you know, he might sort of withdraw from me and learning how that he just doesn't do that and, and his grace and his mercy. So that's just an individual walk I had to go on. And um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, Neil, but uh, no, look, I, can't, I can't see it as black and white as that because I, see Christ, I, I can see Christians who are very um, uh, full of hate and, and um, judgment and I see non-Christians that aren't. So, So our parenting style is very important and yeah. this might come down to while we're a believer and a follower of Christ how we appreciate his grace towards us that flows through to our grace towards our children and what our children will think about the grace of God because of the way we behave whether that's an authentic uh, follower of Christ type gracious behavior or whether it is a hard line uh, really uh, tough-minded parenting, which, uh, you know, has a certain level of, you know, when people talk about uh, judgment judgment or even this idea of being a perfectionist, uh, these things can flow through and affect the way that our children think about God. And also the people that we're praying for, God is in the process of drawing them to himself. And so they're, they're all going through a process, even if they don't know it. One of the things I really liked when I was writing the book, because I was um, talking about Satan and demons and angels and God. I already had my baddies and my goodies, if you know what I mean. You need baddies in a book and goodies. And um, God said to me, I want you to, to just love all of the characters. There's no bad character. There's no good character. They're just all people. And um, just, just love them. And so I really enjoyed that. I just really did love all of the characters. And I didn't sort of write about one that was the baddie that was going to hurt everybody. Um, because the evil influences were coming from the eternal um, dimension, and just loved all the people who are all in the process of understanding and 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 living their lives and just trying to figure out what life's about and where they've come from, and how God over the and how the prayers were being answered on behalf of those people and how it was working out eternally. Let's talk about goodies and baddies in our own family because it's all very well to talk about goodies and baddies, angels and demons and uh, the people who might be involved. Uh, if we reflect on our own uh, heritage from our grandparents and our parents, we might be able to identify that there might be goodies and baddies in our grandparents and our parents uh, that influenced us to think and feel and behave the way we do. And what about then what happens with our own children and our grandchildren? Because somehow or other we have to come to grips with who we are in the context of our family and what we are in our faith so that the values that we are passing on might be the right values. How do you reflect on the goodies and baddies in our own family and whether we might actually be the goody or baddie ourselves? Yes, that's a good point. Well, I think it's gradually... Um I think everybody tends to sort of come from the perspective to start with, well, I'm the victim here, that that person was wrong and I was I was right. And then as, as you grow, go through the years, you realise, oh, gee, maybe I was pretty hard to get on actually back then. Like I don't want to have a video replay of myself in my 20s. I'll probably be horrified. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so growing in your – I think um, we're not supposed to be judgment, judgmental. You know, the Bible says, um, judge not so that you won't be judged yourself and show mercy, otherwise you won't be shown mercy. And I think that's that's a pretty serious um, couple of verses there. And um, just learning to be less judgmental and, and realize that people are doing, 
were doing the best they could in the situation they found themselves in. And I'm looking to God to help me overcome the, the, the results of people's actions in the past. You know, I can't change them. The only thing I can change is me. The only thing I can do is say, so, well, look, I can't do anything about what those people did. I can get angry and I can get bitter and everything and unforgiving, and that's just going to change one thing. But I can, I can set about changing myself. And just only a minute out from the news, but if we look at our parents and our grandparents and we judge them to be the baddies, uh, then in some sense we make ourselves the victim of their bad decisions. Somehow or other we have to get over that victimhood idea and if we can start with a clean slate, if we can be refreshed and renewed, uh, that gives us an opportunity to start afresh without all the baggage that we might be blaming our parents and grandparents for. Yes, yes. A comment from a listener who was on Facebook for you, uh, Yvonne, uh, it's from Mike, who says, Yvonne, my wife's grandmother escaped a World War II Soviet farm in Kazakhstan. And so later her daughter, my wife, Mary, and now our daughter, Isabel, were all born against all odds. God's eternal plan, we all follow Jesus. What sort of connection can you bring for the sorts of things we're talking about to uh, to that comment from Mike? Yes, I just I do believe that there is an all-over... Um, power uh, that God is totally powerful, and that He's that He's always working. I remember my great, my Scottish great grandfather said, "The wheels of God grind slow but sure." And they are, and I think um, past generations have had more of a concept of this of, of things were happening over a long period of time. You know, the great churches that were built in the past might have taken several generations to be built. And now we're expecting things to be built in in sort of a couple of months or whatever. Um, But God is working always over thousands of years and he has the big picture always in mind. But at the same time, he's totally aware of every little tiny detail of our lives, which I think is amazing. God has eternal purposes and some will say even has time purposes uh, in this time that we are all in. And sometimes we feel like we're spectators looking at what God is doing, but this appreciation that we're actually a part of the game, this is an important element. And if we're reflecting on what Mike is saying uh, and talking about a you know, his grandmother or his wife's grandmother, rather, escaping from a World War Two Soviet farm in Kazakhstan and recognizing that it's miraculous that he actually has a wife and that they have a daughter. I mean, these sorts of things are quite amazing that God has actually put those things in place. And clearly, Christian faith has been a part of what happened there because they no doubt would see some sort of miraculous intervention that's happened for allowing that family to shape the way it is. Yes, I think to get that balance of the big picture and, and also the in, in infinite details is um, a huge one. I think if, if I noticed with um, my parents' generation, uh, their concept of, of God often was, oh, but he's, he's too busy running, running everything to be interested in, in the tiny details of my life. They felt that was being very um, audacious to ask God to help them with the little details of their lives. And I think we've shifted too much, in my opinion, too much the other way that we're thinking that God's sort of like a big Santa Claus in the sky that's just going to give me everything I want. 
and if I claim it and pray for it, it's all going to happen the way I want it to. And we, and we get quite a big shock when it doesn't actually go the way we wanted it to or thought it should go and have to sort of eventually realize actually God is in charge here and he's going to do what he wants to do. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to lose myself. <laughs> I think what I can hear you saying is, wouldn't it be ideal if our faith could just be formed by the things that we appreciate in the Bible, uh, by those eternal truths that we might be able to mine in God's word? But what you're indicating here and uh, what our conversation seems to be flowing around is that Oftentimes, the things that we're thinking about God are more influenced or equally influenced by the impression that we get from our parents and from our grandparents. Mm. So this is uh, this is encouragement, isn't it, to go deeper into our faith now because what we think, what we believe and how we behave affects our children and our grandchildren. I wanted to come back to something we were talking about a little earlier. Uh, when you were talking about your parents and uh, the sorts of attitudes that were a little bit more black and white than we have today, uh, those sorts of things that were shaped by having gone through world wars and uh, depressions and the sacrificial nature of, of how they lived their lives, and that shaped them, and you can recognize that. But we're in a generation now where we haven't had the same hardships as your grandparents and your parents. How do you reflect on people today and the sorts of things that are shaping them and the way they'll be shaping their children. Yes, I think that um, it's probably very hard to be encouraged today. But when um, our parent, my parents and grandparents um, were very optimistic, they, they, sort of, they, had, they had a very simple faith, um, we're part of the British Empire and we're fighting for the, the good cause, fighting for freedom and it was very clear-cut, and it's become much less clear-cut, and there are so many alternative viewpoints, and um, there's so much to be to discourage people at the moment, um, whereas there was a lot to be optimistic about and hopeful about um, when I was growing up. Uh, you talk about the idea of having a collective faith. It's like a collective faith that your parents were a part of or a collective values shaping that came from those war experiences and the Depression. But these days, because we don't have uh, the big threats, or at least some people, there are actually big threats going on, but, uh, but because we haven't been through all of the hard times that our parents and grandparents went through, that somehow or other it's all very individualistic. How do you describe that way that, you know, that we, we tend to approach things differently because we're not of our same, of our parents' ilk? Yes, well, I think that um, a lot of the people, well, getting back to when I was growing up, think that the, the, the society was basically run on Christian foundations. There was censorship. I mean, the only way you could get pornography was to be able to go to King's Cross somewhere and say, Joe, Joe sent me, you know, and find it somewhere. And um, so it, it was very much run on Christian principles, even those that weren't Christians. So all of our, our friends, they, they didn't live together before they got married, for example, and they've all stayed together. They're still married, even though they're not Christian. They're, they've just followed what they were brought up to, and that's worked for them very well. And if, but, but they're very confused as to why their children don't, believe the same thing because I think there was sort of this thought that automatically you grow up believing that they didn't have an understanding that you've you've been taught to believe that you've been actually raised on that 
and that is that is how the, what the belief system you've formed as a result of growing up in the society. So that's been now undermined, and now there's a whole lot of variety of faiths and a whole lot of variety of viewpoints, and and you can just choose whichever one you want. And so there's there's myriad pathways for people to walk down, and um, there's good things about that that it, that it was that it needed to be opened up more, and, that, and there needed to be less judgments, and there needed to be more acceptance of people who were different. And um, so there are good things that have come out of that, but I think now people are, can can be a bit lost and don't really and and they're just sort of wandering around thinking I don't really know where this is going. And how significant is it uh, to be a part of a local church and to be exposed to those eternal issues from God, uh, to how they relate to our day to day life, the way we raise our families? How important is it to be locked into? a pattern which actually helps to influence the way that our values and our behaviours are shaped. If everything is so individualistic and people choose to do what they want to do, how much more important is it to think about how, and I imagine that when we talk about church, it's a little bit this collectivist lifestyle rather than the individualist. It's important to get into that sort of routine, do you think? Community is just so crucial, and I think a lot of really deep human needs are met within a church situation. Even the fact that we get to sing together, like community singing is so good for people. And uh, if you're not in a church, where, where do you get that unless you go and join a local choir or something? Um, community singing and um, worship, we're, we're made for worship. So the fact that you get the opportunity to worship regularly with other, with other people that are like-minded. So that is such a deep need that's met in people when they're part of that. And... Um, you know we're all we're all um imperfect and so we have to learn how to accept each other and we're all there we we sort of we're in a family together really it's like a family and uh it's um and 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 I'm finding more and more myself I'm really needing my christian um friends because it's getting you know more and harder and harder really in a lot of ways um and there's a, a big upsurge uh, against christianity that's quite um strong and um Quite surprising in its um, vehemence and its hatred of Christianity that we haven't experienced in the past, and so um, that Christian fellowship and then just the word fellowship, you don't really get fellowship anywhere outside of um, Christians together. We, we where we fellowship on that other level, it's different to friendship. It's different to anything else. It's a very special, unique thing. It's like a mechanistic level where uh, if you leave God out of the picture and there's no spirituality to it, you're missing out on a whole dimension of your life. Yes. And uh, it's like you say, when you're in those times of uh, communal singing in church, uh, you're all singing on of one accord. Yes. And uh, and there's something special about the presence of God in all of that. And, yes. and you're missing it if you're not actually a part of the community, mm. uh, which is the community of faith. Let's come back to your book, because I feel like we might have gone off on some tangents here. Um, across in time, yes. uh, the sorts of things we're talking about today, have you been, uh, you know, as you reflect on the things we've been talking about, do these sorts of things come through in the way that you've been writing about your fictional families? Just sorry, what's the question? <laughs> so, okay. So, the sorts of things we're talking about today, you know, with behavior and all that sort of thing, that's influenced the way that you've written. Do these mm. sorts of concepts come through strongly as you've been writing about your fictional families? Uh, it was very helpful to me um, when Clute, my son, 
um, read through the book for me. I, I was so nervous about the book because it's such a lonely thing to do. You're sitting there typing away and you're thinking, this might be complete crap. I don't know what I'm doing here sort of thing, just trying to – but it was something that I had to birth. I had to do it sort of thing. And um, so Clute was very brave and he read the book through. And he, point, he pointed out a couple of things that were really crucial. And he said, so with this particular character, I knew what the character would do in a certain situation. And I had her react in that situation. But Clute said, you haven't actually given me enough lead up in the character for me to follow why she would make that decision. And um, that was really helpful. I, I sort of went back and I made sure that in the development of the characters, I included enough about the character for the reader to be able to follow where that character's going and to understand why the character makes the decision they do at a certain point. So that was very cr- crucial in writing the book um, to, for the, hopefully the reader to be able to follow that particular person's journey and, and understand why they've, they've gone the way they've gone and the, and the decisions and choices they've made. You know, as my mind is thinking, as you're describing the way you've used your book, sometimes uh, I think of our Christian faith and this idea of being a predictable person. Because if you are a follower of Christ, then in a collective sense, there's others doing the same thing. They're predictable as well. And so this predictableness of being a parent, this predictableness of being a Christian believer that needs to be an essential part of who we are if values are going to be formed because people will know how we're going to make decisions and how we're going to respond to the crises of our lives if we are in line, uh, in accordance, a Christ-like follower of God. Uh, this sort of predictability, is it what you're, you're talking about when you discuss uh, those things in your book? I was really talking about, I mean, I agree with you that that's so important that we... Um, are predictable and that the, the people who, who we love can have an idea of how we will behave in certain situations. But I was sort of probably, <clears throat> I was probably meaning more um, each person has been going on a, on a journey of growing and, and evolving. They've been evolving. And for the reader to be able to follow how that person's evolving and changing because we're changing all the time. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest this hour is Yvonne Grice. We've been talking about her book called Across in Time, and it's been a very different conversation, I might say, and I might add a refreshing conversation to Yvonne. And, and yeah. it's not all, it's not all been fun and games in the conversation. In fact, you've been reflecting on the goodies and the baddies, and that's a really, really great way to talk about some of the big issues that we sometimes face. Darkness in our life, darkness in our family, and yet a certain optimism as we look forward to a future, if we can get things right, that will set up the opportunity for our families to capture our values. As you reflect on those dark times in generations gone by and what you've written about in your story and based on your own life story, how do you think of what we look forward to into the future? I remember when I was going through a particularly traumatic time, um, one of my daughters, Gretchen, said, I believe that faith is believing God is good. And I think that's that's a huge, it's, it sounds very simple, but that's very deep. God is good. God does love us. And he has our best in, best intentions at heart. 
and he was planning for us a future and a hope. And in the in the midst of the darkest times, and um, I've been through some very um, difficult, dark times in my lifetime, um, I've held on to the fact that God is good, that God loves me, and that he is working things together for good. And um, sometimes it's, things are so black that you can't even see anything, and you're literally just taking another step and another step. But... Um, knowing that God is there with you, even if you can't feel him, even if a, there's no concept of it in your life, God is good and he doesn't change. And He does. There isn't. there does come an end to it and he does bring you through. And your book, Across in Time, and without giving away what happens in the end, because I don't know, but there is a revolution that takes place in your book. Mm. and revival is the result of that. There is an optimism as those who are coming to a place where God becomes central to the way that their values are shaped. There is a good ending. Yes, I think the, the idea was God can sometimes take three generations to create a prophet or to create a, an amazing person of God, and it doesn't just happen overnight. Yvonne, time is running out. Uh, people getting a hold of your book, Across in Time, and I did mention it is a fiction book, so it's not a theology textbook or anything like no, that. No. Uh, in fact, it's based on your own background as a cognitive behavioural therapist, and you've written a book of fiction, and somehow or other you've very cleverly been able to base this on your own life story and the people who are close to you, those who've gone before and uh, the uh, the expectation that those who are coming after you, children, your grandchildren, are going to be influenced by your own values. What does that say, just uh, briefly, for how we ought to take stock of where we are right now uh, to make adjustments when we know that there are things that are out of line to be able to set ourselves in a right course so that we might be the best influence we can be for our own families? I think just um, really continually clarifying um, what what we believe and um, the Word of God always, every day. Just We need the Word of God all the time. And um, God being the, the plumb line in the middle of our lives to giving him permission, I think, giving him permission to bring us back in line if we go out of line, to um, to encourage us when we're needing it, to pull us back if we run ahead, um, giving God permission to be in charge of our lives, I think is very crucial so that we are following that plumb line and um, hopefully sticking to that course ourselves. And if I was... Just describing something of the treasure that's come out of our conversation today. It is this idea that what we believe today doesn't only shape us, but it shapes our families and it shapes the generations into the future. And uh, uh, what a wonderful concept to have been talking to you about, Yvonne. Let me point people to get a hold of your book if they so desire a good read when it comes to it a have, fiction book. It, it does have some humour and lightness in it, by the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. we might be, yeah, we've been talking about a few dark things. It is, so it is there's light. Some, there's some humour, yeah. there's some light, yeah. and there's some uh, current style situations. 
uh, and issues that are there at the fore in your book. Uh, let me encourage people. It is called Across in Time. It is available at bookstores like Kurong. You can get it on Amazon, but simply Googling Across in Time and Yvonne's name, Y-V-O-N-N-E, and uh, Yvonne's surname is Grice, but it's spelt G-R-I-E-S-E. So uh, if you Google Yvonne Grice, Across in Time, wherever you might be listening, right around this wonderful nation of ours, you'll be able to get a copy delivered to your door. Across in Time, Yvonne, it's just been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It was, I enjoyed every second of it. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.